my dad um, went to school twice, went to college twice. The first time my dad went to college was here in Indianapolis at Butler University. Any Butler graduates here? I don't know if any Butler folks. My dad went to Butler uh, back in the 60s, and my dad was just all about playing music. His major was saxophone. He played in jazz bands all over Indianapolis. And the weirdest thing, and this was pre-conversion day, um, my dad was uh, one semester away from graduating, and he was supposed to play in the commencement service, and he decided, nah, I'm not going to do it. And he just packed up his car and went home. And so guess what? They said, you failed the semester. And so my dad said, I'm not coming back. And so he never graduated from college, even though he was there four years uh, from Butler University. Well, many years later, uh, my father became a follower of Christ, and we moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee, where my dad went to Tennessee Temple University and, and uh, seminary. And uh, so I grew up on a, a Bible college campus. And when this time, when he went back to college, he was in his mid-30s, and he had a whole different outlook when he was 21 and 22. And I'm very proud of my dad. He graduated with a 3.98. And, uh, and I'd learned from my dad how to study how to study for tests. And he would have, you know, he would tell me, you know, be ready for the test three days before you get to it. Make sure you have that paper ready a week before it's due so you have time to do it. And so I, I learned, and, and the way I studied for tests back in the day was I would just pace back and forth and I would read the notes out and I'd have note cards and I would quiz myself and things like that. And, and, I, and it paid off when I went to school. And, and what was funny to me, though, when I was in seminary, was right, right, we're getting ready to take a test. Everybody's like, excuse me, professor, what kind of test is that going to be? Is it going to be multiple choice? Is it going to be fill in the blanks? Is it going to be essay? And you know what I thought? If you know the material, who cares? I really didn't care what they threw at me. When I went into the test, I knew the material. And so it wasn't a big deal. But I always found that kind of odd, you know. And it just told me that people were trying to see what they could get away with and things like that. And, and so, again, I, I learned uh, to how to take tests. Now, praise God, I'm not in school anymore. But, you know, those were great tools that my dad taught me later in life, how to study for the test. Well, you know, the reality is, as followers of Christ, we live in a world where we're constantly getting things thrown at us. And the question is, how do we test what is true? I have up here today, I have uh, the Book of Mormon uh, right here. I have uh, a book that uh, contains the Koran, a lot of uh, text from the Koran and some things. And then I have another book, if you watch the History Channel, you'll hear a lot about, called the Gnostic Bible. And uh, the Gnostic Bible, uh, I asked Ray if he could read this before church. He said he didn't have time, but uh, this little book here. But all sorts of what's called Gnostic writers uh, who claimed, a lot of these were books that were claimed to be from the apostles. So you got the apostle, the gospel of Thomas, the gospel of Mary, the gospel of Judas. You have all sorts of interesting things. And if you watch the History Channel, they a lot of times will reference the Gnostic uh, Bible as somewhat of a true source. And uh, so we have a lot of stuff going on out there today that's being thrown at us. And as a Christ follower, how in the world do you know how to test these things? How do you know, is there a way that we can test everything that's being thrown at us? Because let's face it, America's not the same war place it was 50 years ago. The nations are coming to our doors. 
And, and so, again, you guys know this. In my neighborhood, like I said, we have Muslims, we have Indian folks, uh, we have African American, we have white folks, we have a whole mix. And, and again, I see people walking in their garbs uh, down the street in their religious garbs and things like that. So I, I live in a very uh, ethnic uh, mixed neighborhood and, and religiously mixed neighborhood. And that's just the America we live in. Yesterday I was voting. I saw folks from different religious backgrounds uh, and how they were dressed and things like that. And we live in a world today where we're having all these things thrown at us, and at the same time we're being told you've got to tolerate it. Now, tolerance used to be I can disagree with you, but I can still love you as friends. In fact, Voltaire, who was a French atheistic philosopher, said this, I may disagree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. That's how tolerance used to be. In America, though, today, under the new tolerance rules, it's like, no, you can't disagree with me. You have to accept my view as equally valid as yours. And so we've moved away from we can agree to disagree to no, you have to accept my belief as equally valid as yours. And if you don't accept my belief as equally valid as yours, then you're, you know, whatever. And then we start labeling people and all sorts of things. And that's the America we live in today. And, and so we got this America with all sorts of different religions flooding into our country and, and, and all sorts of things even inside the church that are, that are cropping up. <clears throat> and so the question is, how do I test this stuff? Is there a way for me to know that this is right or if this is wrong. Because look, none of us in here are experts in all the world religions. All right, I'm learning constantly a lot of stuff, uh, particularly about Islam, because of course in my life, my wife's Laura's line of work, she talks to Muslim people every day um, in what she's doing. So there's always things cropping up. It's like, oh, that's interesting and things like that. And so again, it's just impossible to know everything about everybody. So is there a test and what would that test be? So I'm going to give you a test today that John gives us, the Apostle John, that you and I can apply when we come up against these religions and these different isms and these different, even within Christianity, things that are being taught. And so if you have your Bibles, hope you do, turn to 1 John chapter 4, because we've been traveling through the Gospel of John. Turn through uh, 1 John chapter 4, because we've been traveling through this. And so John is writing to Christ followers. That is the point of this letter. Again, he's, he's getting way up there in years, and he's really, the church is growing, but at the same time, there's a lot of stuff getting in the church, a lot of false believers, a lot of false teaching. And so John's really, really concerned about that. And so in, in one of his last letters, he's, he's really saying, okay, church, here's how you test these things. Here's what you do. So let's look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what John says. He says this. He says, dear friends... Do not believe, and I, guys, I don't, I don't, my clicker's not working. Can you run that, please? He says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to determine if they are from God. And here's why. Because many false prophets have gone into the world. So John is telling Christ followers, he's saying, listen, I want you to test the spirits because many false prophets have gone into the world. H- have you ever heard the term cult? We've all heard that, right? You know, do you know what a cult is? In, in one sense, it's just a fanatical following of people that are like behind this particular figure. Like for the example, there's a, an Elvis cult, okay? They just love Elvis. 
Still haven't figured that one out. But, you know, where I was at in Alabama, boy, they loved Elvis. All right? And you might like Elvis. Great blue suede shoes and all that stuff. But, you know, there's the Elvis cult and things like that. But in a religious sense, a, a religious cult is characterized by three things. First of all, it's very exclusive. We are the only ones that have the answer. And if you leave our group, then you're not going to be part of the group, okay? You're not going to be on your way. The second thing that a religious cult is characterized is it's often very secretive. You've got to be in our group. We have a special secret we want to share with you that nobody else has ever figured out, but we got it. And so we're the only ones that get it, so join our group. And the last thing that characterizes religious cults is they have usually an authoritarian figure. Okay, it's my way or the highway. You follow me. If you don't follow me, you're condemned and things like that. So there's always a, a, an, a, an authoritarian. So usually they're very exclusive, very secretive, and they're very authoritative. Uh, they have an authoritarian figure. And basically, that's kind of the general view of a religious cult. Now, in Christianity, a cult is considered one that denies one of the fundamental beliefs of the Christian faith. Okay, and it denies one of our fundamental beliefs. Now, I'm going to give you an example of two cults. And the reason I'm doing this is, first of all, to let you probably know of these cults and to let you know a little bit about what they believe, but to highlight what John is saying here. Now, let me say this. The people that are in these cults are people created in the image of God who need Jesus Christ. All right? They are not your enemy to go up and hit them in the face or yell and scream at them. They are people to share the gospel with. Okay? So the, if you run into folks who are in these cults, don't sit there and spit at them or slam the door in their face when they come to your house. Don't be that way. They're creating the image of God. They're just misled. And they need the Savior. But I'm going to give you two that we probably know of most in America. The two most prominent cults in America are Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. They are the most prominent cults in America. Now, here's the deal. Both of these groups claim to be Christians. Both groups claim to be Christians. Now, if you go back to our text in verse 1, John says that many false prophets have gone out into the world. And if you remember several weeks ago, John talked about people within the church who went out from the church who were false teachers. And so, so again, the, the, they, these people are claiming to be Christians, and yet they are false in what they teach. Uh, and so let me give you the big test right now, and then we're going to break it down. So what is the way I can test people? Uh, groups and teachings and stuff. Here's, let me give you the test here. Here it is, and Rob will throw it up on the screen. Jesus is the test for truth. At the end of the day, when somebody comes to you with a teaching or a thing, at the end of the day, what do they believe about Jesus? Because at the end of the day, Jesus is the ultimate test of these groups. So again, go back to verse 2 uh, there here. Look at verse 2. He says, this is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So John says, here's how you know if this is of God, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. The test is Jesus. So anytime anybody knocks at your door and wants to share with you some, some revelation or you're talking with friends over coffee and, hey, I've heard this, the test has always got to be Jesus. What do they believe about Jesus? And cults will always deny some fundamental truth about Jesus. They will deny either his virgin birth or they'll deny that he's a member of the Trinity They'll deny the Trinity. They'll deny that he bodily rose from the dead. They'll, they'll deny that he is fully God, fully man. Every cult will in some way, when it comes to Jesus, there will be a split from what 
Christianity truly believes. Now, this is very tricky, though. And this is why you have to ask these questions. Who is Jesus? And you've got to pry. Let me read from you from the Jehovah's Witness main website, jw.org. Here's what they said. And you've got to be careful. Because the, these folks are, it's, it's, you've got to nail them down. Who is Jesus? Here's what they say according to jehovahswitness.org. We believe in Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All right. However, if you read further, they say this, quote, However, we take Jesus at his word when he said, quote, The Father is greater than I, so we do not worship Jesus, and we do not believe he is Almighty God. Whoa. Red flag. This is right off their website, okay? Now, they say Jesus said the Father is greater than I, and so that means Jesus is not equal with God. Well, again, their theology is messed up. When Jesus was on this earth... He was God in the flesh, and he submitted himself to the will of the Father. Jesus voluntarily laid aside uh, of some of those uh, divine, uh, the ability to independently exercise his divine attributes, and, and Jesus was necessarily limited by a human body. And so in that context, yes, the Father is greater than I, but Jesus Christ is on the throne now. He is equal with God. He is God. He was God in the flesh. But in that particular time frame, when Jesus was speaking, that's why he said that. But again, they've taken that and totally misinterpreted it. And so they claim they're Christians, but they deny that Jesus is the Son of God. They deny that he is God. Now, Mormons, <clears throat> mormon.org, they said, quote, Jesus is the creator and savior of our world. Okay? Salvation is attained now in the same way it was then. We must have faith in Christ and repent of our sins. Pretty good. Then they go on and start tacking works onto it. And we have to be baptized in his name, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, remain steadfast in keeping God's commandments. In this way, we gain eternal life. Well, wait a minute. They just stopped faith alone. Now they're starting adding works that I have to do this. Now, here's the thing. Uh, usually if the Mormons come, and I've had a lot of interaction with Mormons, <clears throat> they're usually going to talk about the Book of Mormon. Now, the Mormons have four books, actually. They have the Book of Mormon, the Bible, the Pearl of Great Price, and the Book of Doctrine and Covenants. So they actually, if a Mormon ever brings their, their whole thing, it's about that thick, because there's four actual books that they go to. And the Doctrine of Covenants is one of their books that we go to as far as their teachings. And here's what it says in the Doctrine of Covenants, okay? Which, by the way, they didn't list on their website, because they knew that would be controversial, because they're presenting themselves as Christians. But if you read the Doctrine of Covenants, which is an official book of the Mormon church as far as their teachings, they said this, quote, Christ the firstborn was the mightiest of all the spirit children of the Father. Of all the spirit children of the Father. Then they go on and teach basically that Jesus was procreated. Here, here's what they said. God the Father, Elohim, dwells on a planet with his many spirit wives, producing numerous spirit children who await to inhabit physical bodies so that they too may one day ascend to Godhead as their parents. Jesus is believed to be the firstborn child of Elohim. Y'all get that? So Mormons believe that God and his wife are somewhere having spirit babies, and Jesus was the first spirit baby. Now again, they don't teach you that on their website, but if you get into their theology... Okay, here's one thing you need to be careful with cults and things. They may use the same vocabulary, but a different dictionary. So you got to pry. What do you really believe about Jesus? The Bible teaches that Jesus is eternal. 
He is not a created being, okay? Mormons now will say, oh, if you say that, Mormons say, oh, he is eternal. What they mean is he was created before the world began. But that's not what the Bible teaches. He has always been. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, and things like that. But again, Mormons will try and twist things a little bit. You've got to really pry and things like that. So here's what John says. You've got to test the spirits to see if they are from God. Again, Islam. A lot of people say, oh, they're, they're just like us. They, all is just another name for God. Oh, no. If you go down that road, they don't, all is not the God of the Bible that we worship. But again, you got to test the Spirit. So Jesus is a test for truth. Here's the first test here. Make sure that they understand that Jesus is fully man. Look at verse 2 here, 1 John. This is how, go back to this, this is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, that name Jesus is the name that he had on earth. It was the name which uh, Gabriel told Mary that she would name the Son of God. And so, again, one of the tenets of Christianity is Jesus is fully man. Now, in John's day when he wrote this, there was beginning to be this false teaching that later came to full bloom after John passed away called docetism. And docetism basically means to appearance of. So there was people in the church in John's day who were starting to teach, well, Jesus wasn't really a man in flesh. He just looked like it. He just seemed like a man. And then there was another branch that started to be taught in, in John's day and really came full bloom in the second, third t- century. And again, this would be the Gnostic Bible stuff, which, which basically said the Gnostics believed that flesh was evil. And so there's no way that God, pure and holy God, could inhabit a human body. So they, they just said Jesus really wasn't God in the flesh. He was just a man. Okay, again... If you go to John's gospel, John chapter 1, verse 14, here's what John said. The word became, and the word is Jesus, became flesh and took up his residence among us, and we observed his glory, the glory of the only Father, uh, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. Okay, that's what we believe. Jesus is God who took on human flesh. Now, when John wrote this letter... Probably nobody really questioned whether Jesus was a real person as far as a person who existed, okay? Now, some say he just appeared to be a man and things like that. But now, 2,000 years later in our context, what's happening today is people are saying, I don't know that he ever really existed. Jesus is probably just a myth that was created by people, you know. And there's a lot of people today, you know, again, occasionally on Twitter I get into a little... Twitter things with uh, atheists and folks, and you know, it's like, well, he's just a myth. Well, wait a minute. How do, uh, really? First of all, I have the Bible that's written by eyewitnesses, not just one, not just two, but tons of eyewitnesses who say he was here. We saw him. Uh, another, Another argument. Why would 12 guys who fled from the cross suddenly give up their lives for what if it was a myth? doesn't make sense. And if you want to go outside the Bible, let me just give this real quickly, because I want you to know that we don't worship a myth. If you go outside the Bible, because again, the Bible's full of eyewitnesses, but if you want to go outside of it, Cornelius Tacitus, who lived around, it was born around 50 AD, he said this in one of his writings, Christus, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate. So we have an early historian 
writing about this. Lucian of Samadisa said in the second century that Christ was the man who was crucified in Palestine because he introduced this new cult, that was Christianity, was originally called that, into the world. Flavius Josephus, a Jewish historian, said, Now there was this time, at this time, Jesus, a wise man, if, not law, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. So we have writings from early historians from the first century who talk about, yes, there was this man named Jesus. And then we have people like uh, Susitonus, Pliny the Younger, Tortullian, Thallus, uh, Samaritan board uh, uh, historian, Philagian. Uh, and we have all these historians who talk about the fact that, yes, there was this man named Jesus who lived in Palestine at the time. So again, if, if a group denies that he was fully man, then that's a huge problem. Here's another test, that he's fully God. And again, this is hard for people to do. So another test here is that Jesus is fully man, but he's also fully God. Look at verse 2 again. Just go back here. I know we're beating this verse to death, but there's so much here. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now, I know sometimes people think that was his last name. You know, what's your name? Last Jesus Christ. No, Christ is not his last name. The word literally means anointed one. It literally means Jesus the anointed one. Jesus the Messiah. And he is anointed. If you read throughout the Bible, you'll see that Jesus is anointed to be our priest. Read all that through Hebrews if you want to go through that, about the fact that he is uh, faithful, he's no need to sacrifice for himself, that he offered himself as a sacrifice, he's anointed to be our priest. If you read the scriptures, you'll see that Jesus Christ is anointed to be our king. And you can go back to the Old Testament that predicts his coming, that he would be glorious and supreme and he'd sit on the throne of God. And you go to the New Testament and you'll read about his universal kingdom and his kingdom's not of this world, so he's our king and he was also anointed to be our prophet, anointed with the spirit of God knows and reveals God, preached the gospel, worked miracles, foretold things to come, faithful to uh, his trust, abounded in wisdom, and on and on. He is the, so literally that what John is saying is Jesus, the anointed one, the one from God, came in the flesh. He's not just a man, he is the God-man. Again, that, this blows circuits. How can he be fully God and fully man? Well, there's just some things I can't explain. But the evidence is there, right? So again, fully God, fully man. Look at verse 3. John goes on, he says, But every spirit who does not confess, Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. You have heard that he is coming, and he is already in the world now. Any group that denies that Jesus Christ is from the Father, that he is from God, that he has come in the flesh, John says is against Christ. Let me give you another test. So Jesus is the test. Let me give you another thing here. Jesus is a test. Next thing here on the slide there. Jesus is, here's another test. Jesus is eternal. Go, again, go back to verse 2. I'm just going to hit it one more time. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now you say, okay, I thought we already went over that. Have you ever said this? Roger has come in the flesh. Like when Roger's born. Look. Julie has come in the flesh. Do we ever say that? That's not what we say. Why, why does it say Jesus has come in the flesh? What is it saying? He's eternal. He took on human flesh. He came into this world, and he took on human flesh. That's what that statement assumes. 
Jesus has come in the flesh. And again, if you look at the scriptures, it teaches the preexistence of Christ. Go back to what John wrote in John chapter 1. He says, in the beginning, talking about Jesus was the Word, and the Word was God, equating Jesus is God. And the Word was God. Word was with God. Look at verse 2. And the same was in the beginning with God. And look at verse 3. All things were created by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. John later goes on in verse 14. He says this, and the word, speaking about Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we observed his glory. Again, Paul talks about the preexistence of Christ in Philippians and Colossians and and Hebrews and other references in the Old Testament, like Micah, talk about the preexistence of Christ. So anyone who denies that Jesus Christ has always existed is against Christ. Because here's the deal, folks. If Jesus is not pre-existent, if he is not the ever-eternal, everlasting one, then he's a created being. And no created being is worthy of worship. If you look at the Bible, you know, there's times when angels would appear and people would fall down. The angels say, get up. You don't worship me. But people fell down and worshiped Jesus. He never told them to get up. Why? Because he was worthy of worship. But no created being is ever worthy of worship. Let me give you another thing real quickly. Jesus is the test, and he is the dividing line. Look at verse 2 3 again. We'll go back one more time. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit who does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. You have heard that he is coming and he is now in the world. Now, if you look in there, you'll see there are spirits here, uh, one with a capital S, one with small s. The small s is talking about the way of thinking. Every spirit that, you have two spirits going on. You have one that confesses that Christ come in the flesh and another that doesn't confess that Christ is come in the flesh. Jesus is the dividing line. There will be people who say, yes, he's the son of God, and there'll be people who say, no, I reject him. He is the dividing line. That's how you know. Look, look at verse 4 and 5, or 5 and 6. They, speaking of false prophets, are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. See, the world loves false teaching. We, speaking of Christ's followers, are from God. Anyone who knows God and listens to us, anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. From this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Again, the same is true today. There are people who are uh, from God. People say, yes, I get it. And then there are those who say, I reject that and what you have to say. That's why, again, people love things like the Gnostic Bible. Okay, because it says, no, Jesus is the only way, or he was fallible, or he, he was just a man, or things like that. That's why people, again, like the Book of Mormon, because, well, you know, it, it wasn't enough that he came and, and died and ascended, but he had to come to the Americas later, and, and things like that, and, and there's other things that we have to do, and, and all those things, and spirit wives, and all that stuff like that. That's why people love the, the scholarship, you know, PhD in the Department of Religion, you know, and they say something, be like, oh, wow, they've got this new revelation, and, you know, I I guess the Bible really wasn't right. You know, I guess those eyewitnesses didn't know what they saw, but this guy 2,000 years later has figured it out. You see, people love that. People love that. Jesus is the dividing line. He is the answer to the test. So let me ask you, have you ever showed up for a test, or showed up for class, only to find out there was a test that day and you weren't ready? Anybody ever had that happen? Y'all ever had those dreams? 
You ever had those dreams? Yeah. Show up. I had one of those a few weeks ago. It's like, it was here. I actually showed up church. It's like, oh, we had a meeting and we had church. And I was like, I don't know what I'm preaching on. What's going on? Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes that's scary. You know, when you show up, you know, because you're thinking, you know, you're going to flunk out the semester, you know. And have you ever done that 30 seconds before you're trying to study? Like, you're really going to remember it in 30 seconds for the class. Scary. Have you ever shown up for a class and you know there's a test and you're ready? Go grab you a cup of coffee, sit down, sharpen the pencil, watching all the other students panic. Bring it on. Let's go. Let's do this. All right. Whole different thing, way of thinking. Whole different feeling. Here's the thing. I don't want you to go around like, oh, Jim, there's just so many religions and so many isms and so many this and that. I just don't know what to believe. No, it's very simple. Jesus is the test. He's the answer. If you look at verse 4, or verse 2, go to verse 2. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That's how you know. Look at verse 4. Here's what John says. If, if you've received Christ, here's what he says in verse 4. You are, and he's talking to Christ followers, number one from God, little children, and you, number two, have conquered them, false teachers, and because, number three, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Look, you have the Holy Spirit if you're a follower of Jesus. You have the Word. People say, well, well, you know, I believe this and believe that. At the end of the day, what do you believe about Jesus? That will tell you. That will tell you right there. Again, if somebody denies that he's eternal, that he's preexistent, that he was born of the Virgin, that he uh, fully God, fully man, that he died, rose again, bodily resurrected, he's the only way of God. If they deny any of those things, then run. Okay? They are not followers of Christ. Again, I know we get we live in a world of globalization, international travel, political correctness, all this stuff is coming to our door, but in reality nothing's really changed. The human heart's the same. I don't care what kind of technology we have. The human heart's the same. And there's always been false teaching in the in the in the world. And so John says, "Here, folks, is how you test it. What do you say about Jesus?" Don't blindly accept anything that comes your way. What do they say about Jesus? So here's my question. Are you applying Jesus as your test? What do you believe about him? Do you believe he's fully God, fully man? That he came into the world to die for our sins? Buried and rose again the third day? I believe that. I think the evidence is overwhelming. They did that. I know the change he's made in my life. Have you ever responded to him? Have you responded to him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, with so many things out there today, it's very easy to get afraid. Father, I pray that we'll remember as followers of Christ, those of us who are, that we've overcome the world <clears throat> through you. We don't need to be afraid. We just need to stick to Jesus. And Father, that when we have those opportunities to interact with Muslims or folks from uh, sheiks or uh, people from other um, isms and other religions, and I pray, Lord, that first of all, we'll see them as loved by you and created in your image. 
And Father, there we will share with them the gospel of Christ, that he is the only way. That, Father, they may be very sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. And so, Father, help us to lovingly give them the truth of the gospel. Father, this morning I pray that we won't live in fear. We have the Holy Spirit. He is our guide. We have the truth. We have a Savior. And so, Father, help us to be wise and discerning as we go forth into this world. Lord, I just thank you for this day. Thank you for everybody here today. Thank you for those who are watching on Facebook today. And Father, I pray for Warren Church that we will have an impact on our community as we step out in this new vision. And Father, we know that we are in a community that desperately needs Jesus. And we know he is the only way, the truth, and the life. So Father, help us to be that light on the hill. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.